Jam, are, are we done? Are we done? Can we all go home now? <laughs> uh, yeah, seriously, that's my question too. Thank you, Roland, for so, asking. So, sorry, guys, this is a this is a very short episode. Have a great day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Leave them on a cliffhanger. We've never done a cliffhanger episode. <laughs> Here are all the reasons you should change. And now, tune in next week to figure out how to actually do it. <laughs> Welcome to the What's Your Baseline podcast. In this show, we talk about our experiences and lessons learned in enterprise architecture and business process management. What's Your Baseline is designed to be for everyone. Newbies who are just getting started with these topics, organizations who want to improve their EA and BPM groups and the value they get from it, as well as practitioners who want to get a different perspective and care about the discipline. Each episode will tackle different key topics, providing context, background, best practices, and stories from the road, inviting you to learn from our challenges and successes, and demonstrating key tools to help you set up your practice and get the most out of it. I'm your host, Roland Wold, and I'm joined today by my co-host, J.M. Erlinson. Hey, J.M., how are you doing today? <laughs> Not too bad, Roland. I'm having actually a pretty good weekend so far. For those who don't know, we sometimes record What's Your Baseline on weekends and it turns a lazy Saturday into a crazy Saturday with a lot of fun with our friends on the podcast. How are you doing today, Roland? I'm doing fine. Obviously, it's just a regular Saturday on a wonderful August uh, Saturday. How does that sound? Well, anyways, so <laughs> what do you normally do on August Saturdays? Besides I with friends and record a podcast. <laughs> Maybe we ask our listeners what the typical thing is they do on August Saturdays. I know, though, that today we have a very good conversation and, and we're going to talk about QA and, and all those wonderful things. JM, have you heard about that? I have. I have actually fun fact for you. Um, today's guest and the topic that we're talking about today is a part of my heritage. <laughs> I used to work in, in, uh, in that, that space. And actually I worked, uh, for, uh, the, our guest today back in my old management consulting days. So I have a little taste of it, but nothing close to the level of experience and, and background that our guest has. So I'm excited to, to hear her perspectives. And I, I think that's about enough preamble before introducing her. Today's guest, of course, is our good friend, Wings Liang. Wings, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's 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 pretty funny that uh, I'm hearing you guys talking about your weekend, uh, and I, I really wanted to tell you about my weekend. Oh, so it was actually a bit of adventurous. Uh, so uh, yesterday, Friday, uh, my boss took us out Um to cart uh, racing. I don't know if you've, you've heard mm -hmm. about it, but that was definitely my first time. And on, on top of that, I stopped driving about 10 years ago. So needless to say, I was scared. I tried to flee from it. I told my <laughs> boss I wasn't going, but <laughs> oh, <laughs> he no. managed to con convince me to go. Uh, and I, I had so much fun. Like I actually went on the racetrack. I finished um um, the first set, and I was I was like, oh, I forgot how fun it is to to, to be driving. <laughs> but no, I still have no plan to go back to the road. You don't want me to be. <laughs> to be there. Well, I mean, I know you're an avid gamer. I'm assuming you would have preferred a Mario Kart racing party rather than a kart racing party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, yeah, well, let's right. talk a little bit more yeah. about you, Wing. So, for, I, obviously, I know you. We've had a, we've had uh, many years of friendship and and working together. But tell us a little mm -hmm. bit. About about yourself um to who are you what, what where did you, what's your uh, your your professional background um and how did you come to where you are right now 
Yeah, sure. Um, Trying trying to not not to feel this is an interview. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm a change delivery person with a diverse background, and I'll explain you know what I mean when I say diverse background. So I'll I'll tell you four aspects of who I am and and what I do. Um, I've practiced and led a variety of the delivery disciplines. For example, QA, of course, quality assurance, that's the topic of today. Um, Business analysis, project management, um, change management, Process improvement. I know that that's really near and and, and, and dear to uh, to to both of your hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, production support, governance, center for excellence, etc. So one aspect, you know, I, I came in with a pretty diverse experience in, in change delivery. Um, and secondly, I've spent about forty percent of my time in the consulting firms. You know, GM. That's where where mm-hmm. we met. Um, and about sixty percent in the industry. So kind of you know. Uh, I've seen both sides sides of the fence. And thirdly, I grew up on the business side, but since then I have jumped back and forth between business and technology. And lastly, industry-wise, um, I've had I've had experience in kind of two pretty extreme uh, spectrums. Um, I've had had experience in retail, communications, high tech, where speed to market is everything. Um, and then I switched over to public sector and financial <laughs> services, where, you know, keeping the company and the customer safe is imperative. So, you know, when I think about it, I, I, I always have a challenge about how to explain to people what I do. Um, but when I was when I was looking back, you know, thinking about how to answer that question, I realized, you know, we're going to talk about QA transformation today. I realized that my own personal growth is also a bit of transformation. You know, I started as an operator, just like every, you know, most of people. I learned what to do, how to do my job. And then I kind of evolved into a problem solver slash designer slash architect, right? Just to provide a solution to problems. And then I think right now I'm, 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 I want to be a strategist. I want to, you know, stay on the strategy side more uh, than doing uh, myself. But, you know, one day I want to I wanna change to a catalyst. I want to, you know, I want to be able to tell you, hey, I'm a change catalyst. And hopefully <laughs> we'll do a, we'll do a um, follow-up episode and I, I, can, I can actually tell you I'm a change catalyst. Oh, well, that, that, that's, I mean, we all want to be in some capacity a catalyst for change, right? Like, you know, in, unless you're trying to, mm-hmm. unless you're trying to hold status quo, which I think we've, we've, right. we've proven conclusively during this time of great upset that change is inevitable and change is important to organizational resiliency and to adaptation to the way in which things are, are have evolved to be. I mean, I, I have the same conversations over and over with people to say, you know, there is no going back. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no old normal. There's the new normal. And I think right. that change catalysts are, are kind of a, a buffer to help us get there. They're the ones who enable us mm-hmm. through that, that process and prepare our organizations for some difficult decisions to come and the ability to adapt to that. So I, I, I completely appreciate that. And I, I hope that you are too. We'll, we will have a follow-up interview on that. <laughs> yeah. But, but, I, but I also think we're, we're deep in content right now. But before we get to this, uh, Wings, can you tell us a little bit more about you as a person, you know, so that people get to know you a bit better? So what are your hobbies, your, your interests, your bucket list items? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure.、Um, hobbies.、Uh, my husband and I we play、uh, badminton mixed、mm-hmm. double.、Um, it's a really interesting sport、um, because it's actually one of the very few sports where men and women compete together, like mixed double. Yeah, I did that when I was a teenager. I played in a in a club, so、mm-hmm. I I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really fun because you know your strategy evolves around having men and women on the same court because you know our strengths and weakness are very very different, right?、Mm-hmm. So your strategy、um, evolve around that. You know, basically try to leverage everyone's strengths but avoid the the the, the weakness. So that's that.、Uh, you know, that's really fun. I also read a lot of fantasy novels. Um, I find them inspiring.、Um, it also ties very closely to you know GM's comment about I'm a I'm a gamer and and you know some of the I definitely for the games that I play, I read、um, the stories the lore、um, behind it. I even you know I watch movies and stuff like that. I'm also very passionate about diversity and inclusion.、Mm-hmm. And GM, you mentioned about change. You know you you have a really good comment about being change catalyst. I think that's another area where you know. A lot of changes are happening.、Um, the you know people and the society are, are rapidly adapting and changing our, our point of view, right?、Um, but I think this is this is the area where、um, there's always room to improve.、Um, we're not there yet, right? So so I, I, I think that's also a very interesting aspect of me.、Um, and and Roland, you asked me about. My bucket list. Yeah, it's very interesting. I don't have one. What?、Um, <laughs> I know it's surprising, right?、Uh, I think you know the 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 fancy response to that is I try to do what I want to do now versus later.、Mm-hmm. But I think the honest answer is I'm just a boring person. <laughs> I, I doubt this. I doubt this. <laughs> oh, my friend. That,、yeah. Well, we 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 know that's not true. So over the course of the next. <laughs> Forty-five to sixty minutes. We're going to help to entreat our audience to the the,、uh, the the splendor of the kinds of conversations you have in business, and by doing so, I think we'll reveal a little bit more about your you, you and the interest that you have and and people in, interest in you. Well,、Absolutely. let's get onto our topics because I, I I think that that's a a really good preamble for <clears throat> I mean today's conversation. You talked about QA. Um, I, I know there are a lot of terms, and one of the things we like to do at the beginning of every podcast is to define terms. So、mm-hmm. I, let, let's start with this. We, we talk about QA. I know there are some other acronyms. Walk me through them, and what do they mean? Yeah, sure. So、uh, I think a lot of people are familiar with the term QA, which stands for quality assurance. But there are other terms, for example, QC, quality control. And in today's topic, I'm going to、uh, to to talk about the transformation to QE, which is quality engineering. And then there is another term I think people are also very very familiar with is testing. So what's the difference between these four?、Mm-hmm. Okay. So for me, quality assurance really focuses on the preventive aspect of the quality,、um, and quality control、uh, focuses on the after the fact, the quality control right、uh, aspect. So imagine a factory、uh, product line、uh, before the before the product can actually pass.、Um, y- you know, you can see there's a automated or manual.、Uh, 
quality control testers who are doing sampling or you know whatever uh, approach that they take mm-hmm. to 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 check each uh, product to make sure it actually passes their quality standard right before they can actually pack pack it and ship it to the customer. So that's typical quality control. In the um, enterprise settings or in the software development aspect, that's when, you know, the product is developed, then QA people, you know, we all call ourselves QA, um, will conduct a testing to make sure that product is actually ready to to, to, to be um, used by the end customer. But from a QA perspective, um, a good example is after we conduct t- testing, we actually will do analysis on what are the common quality issues. And then we talk about how can we prevent that from happening in the future. Um, I think a really good example I have is uh, when I when I was working for uh, Research Emotion, uh, I think it's called BlackBerry today now, right? Um, it's really funny. Their returns department, uh, everyone else's returns department was a call center. Because really, you know, you are not making any revenue. You're just uh, accepting customer returns and uh, processing them, mm-hmm. right? Either fix them, refurbish, the reuse, or, you know, scrap, right? But Research Emotion, their uh, returns uh, department, when I was working there, was a revenue center. Because... Um, there is a process problem. So what they do is when they receive a returned unit, BlackBerry, the very first thing they do is they, they flash it, which means they wipe all the application, all the OS, all the software out. And then they conduct a test on the physical device to see if there's any problem with the physical device. Right? So it's a, it's a, it's a very manufacturing mindset. But the problem is probably 80 plus of the time, the problem is with the application, with the software, or with the operating system, right? Mm-hmm. But because they flashed everything, they find no problem with the device. They say no fault found, and they charge the carrier who returned the device for a fee when it's no fault found, Ooh, right? Wow. It's wonderful <laughs> business for research emotion because they make money out of it. But when you think of it, there's a very, very high opportunity cost, right? Because you lose the opportunity to, to actually improve your operating system, right? to improve your application to improve your customer experience, right? So there's a very, very high opportunity cost. So this is a typical something that QA does. So when we took a look at it, we say that doesn't make sense. Let's let's change the process. So in the future, we can actually um, find the problem with the operating systems, right? With, you know, on the software side to actually improve the overall quality of the product, right? So I think hopefully, you know, I explained QA versus QC clearly. Mm-hmm. So what is QE? It's really interesting. Um, I was doing some research. Uh, you know, I was hoping I could find a very standard uh, definition that, that, you know, I can, I can be academic, academically um, correct and, and tell you that definition. I couldn't find one. No. Everybody has their own interpretation and, uh, and everyone has different application of QE. So I'll tell you my understanding, sure. uh, my definition. So when I think about QE, I think about... Um, a discipline that takes ownership of the quality framework Mm. to improve the quality of the outcome. So three things I want to emphasize. One, we look at 
the quality framework. And, you know, uh, I think I'm, I'm talking to the experts here, right? Because you guys are enterprise architect um, experts, right? Business process improvement. And you're familiar with, uh, with the concept of framework, mm-hmm. right? It's not one thing, but it's, it's, it's everything. It's capabilities, it's methodology, processes, enablers, KPIs, governance, right? The, the, the whole thing. So I really think quality engineer owns the whole thing. And, and you know, throughout our podcast, I'll explain uh, what that means, why quality engineer have to care about the whole thing. And then the second thing to em- emphasize is it's outcome-based. There's a difference between output-based versus outcome-based, right? Take software development as example. When development give us a product, um, let's say um, a, a mobile application that will allow the customer to conduct banking uh, through the mobile application, right? So output-based, I could test it, make sure it's close to 100% bug free but it may not be a good output uh, outcome, right? The output is good, but the outcome may not be good. Hmm. What do I mean by that? It could be really poor customer experience. It could be really, really hard to use. It could be doesn't have enough features to make it appealing to the customer, right? So I think I really want to emphasize that we're switching from output-based to outcome-based. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, But uh, let's take a step back. So uh, who is actually talking about this? Who who are stakeholders for QA? So when you put it in the context of an organization, who who should care? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good uh, question. But let me finish my third bullet point and I'll circle back and and Mm -hmm. answer your question, Roland. So the third bullet point is total quality improvement. So when I say Total quality improvement, I mean the quality of the every aspect that contributes to, to the quality. Mm. And, and by the way, total quality improvement is nothing new. It's a, it's a concept that existed you know, at the beginning of the world <laughs> when, we, when we started talking about quality, right? But I want to emphasize that because, um, um, you know, uh, I talked about QA and QC. People typically think QA is more process-focused um, and QC is more... Uh, product focused, right? But for QE, we got to care about everything. We care about design because design could impact quality. We care about requirements because requirements, right? How your product look like can impact quality. So that's what I mean by total quality improvement. Mm -hmm. And back to answer your question, Roland, who are the customers, you know, who care about Mm -hmm. quality? Ultimately, it really is the customer, is the end user, right? You know, the end user could be the customer, could be your internal user, could be everybody, you know, think about um, our use games as, as an example. It really could be anybody out there, right? It could be engineering, playing a game. It could be someone, you know, a, a, a mm-hmm. kid um, playing a game, right? You know, just to, um, steal their parents' account and log <laughs> on and, and just have some fun there. It could be anybody. But to me, quality really ultimately is for the benefit of the people who are going to use the outcome. Right. So that those are the people who care about the quality. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. It, it does. It's also about strategic uh, stakeholders. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But I actually had a, a different question for you. We're talking about total total sure. quality. Um, 
this is something that we struggle a lot about in engineering. So I come from manufacturing and, and mechanical engineering. And one of the things we talk about mm-hmm. in, in looking at like a, a, the total life cycle cost of a, of a, a part, for instance, mm-hmm. is we talk about the decreasing influences of spheres of influence of things further away from source. Right. And when you, th- when you think about quality, you know, what is your boundary beyond which it's no longer relevant for quality to be analyzed. So when you talk about total quality, how do you determine where that is? Um, so when you stop, you, you, you stop your analysis at this point in time because it's no longer relevant to the conversation. Um, that's a really good question, Jim. You know, my immediate reaction to that is there isn't a boundary. Anything that could, <laughs> yeah, anything that could impact quality, we care. And we should care and we do care, right? Yeah, but isn't there a point of diminishing returns? Oh, there is, for sure. Yeah. And, and that actually ties to one of the oldest guiding principles when it comes to quality, right? We always talk about shift left. Mm-hmm. And I actually, you know, today I want to talk about start left. So, so exactly. Um, as if, if we start talking about, um, what impacts quality, uh, for example, your definition of your output, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, your, your outcome absolutely impacts the quality, um, the, 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 the most, right? Um, producing, uh, airplane, um, versus producing, a disposable mm-hmm. pen. I think the complexity is very mm-hmm. different, yeah. right? And the, 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 the requirement for quality is, is very different. But again, you know, go, going back to your question, Jim, I, I really think there is no boundary, right? Anything that impacts quality, we care. And we want to have a say over it. One of the conversations that I, I, I constantly have with my development partner is um, we want the QA organization, you know, going forward, hopefully, you know, we can transform that into QE to have a, have a say over development design. Mm-hmm. Why? Because if... Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of microservice, right? That's one thing that uh, uh, in the development world, um, increasingly people are talking about it. Uh, think about one application that's humongous, that, that's one module, right? So whenever you change anything, regardless of, of how small that change is, I have, to, I have to test and make sure the whole thing did not break, right? So regression mm-hmm. testing, which is, which is a very typical concept in, in, in QA. But if you break that humongous, monstrous application into microservices, you change one microservices, I test that one microservice, we're good to go, right? Mm-hmm. So back to good, better quality, but also there's a concept that really increasingly associated with quality is how can we do things faster, mm-hmm. right? While still not compromise um, quality, and I have to say this here and, and break a uh, path for architects here, which is obviously super important that you document all those wonderful things, because if you have <laughs> a million things in the air and you don't know uh, when microservice A talks to B talks to C, right? right? Or or does it talk with somebody else, you know? Oh, absolutely. That's horrible. That's horrible. So you definitely need to understand this. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's funny because it also kind of tied to a little bit of the evolution of QA. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I'm going to use the, the, the term QA, and you know, although you know we're really talking about tran- uh, transformation to QE here. Mm-hmm. So at one point, QA, we focused a lot on writing detailed uh, step-by-step test scripts. The idea is um, on my QA team, I have a, a test lead who understands the scope, who understands um, 
the requirement around test environment, test data, who are our customers, how am I going to test this? And then I have test analysts uh, who are going to write the test cases. They understand the functional flow. They understand the, the expected the results, right? So they will write it in a very detailed way. And then theoretically, I could hire anybody off the street as my tester to follow the scripts mm -hmm. and they can still test it. Raise a defect if the expected test result says you should see one, two, three, but they see one, two, four. Okay, raise a defect, mm -hmm. right? And the reason why we're doing that is we were trying to global globalization offshore some of that. Um, repetitive uh, activities, you know, uh, less value added activities over to, to offshore. But I think that's actually changing because with the QE mindset, with switching over to QE, everybody, you know, I talk about everybody not only to care about the functional flows, right? How the, how business wants, how application is fulfilling that requirements to everybody needs to own the quality framework. So we're actually that, that, you know, that's one reason why it's a transformation. I'm staying away from, um, a tier structure where um, as you go to lower tier, people are more like a robot, yeah. right? You know, you, you don't need to have your own brain. Someone has done the thinking. You just need to execute it. Yeah. And you have seen that in the past, you know, at least the projects that I worked in, you know, where QA was actually more like an afterthought, you know, oh, we need to do this right. to appease the, the, the client and prove them that we did it right. right. Um, with mm -hmm. all the shift to agile, um, I think you also see uh, a shift left, right? And I'm pretty sure you will talk about that at, mm -hmm. at, at length. Um, yeah. Basically where mm -hmm. you say, okay, you need to bring testing, for example, more to uh, the, the design side, right? So things like the yeah, yeah, approaches right. like test-driven development, for example, came out of this, right? right? Um, yeah, exactly. Do exactly. you still see this today or, or has it even moved further than from an afterthought to a design activity to something else? So that is the transformation journey that I'm trying to do um, on my current mm -hmm. job, you know, uh, of course, with, with all my delivery partners, right? Um, but I think, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about why uh, we want to do this. I, I want to quickly touch on the, the, the overarching mm -hmm. why, because I think everyone is, is familiar with it. And we actually touched on that earlier as well. Um, you know, the fir first of all, the world is changing and we have to change with it. You know, we, we talk about that, that at the beginning. But I want to add on top of that, I think the world is changing faster and we have to keep pace with it as a minimum. But better yet, we want to stay ahead of it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when I really ask myself, why do we want to change this? I think that's really one uh, aspect of it. Uh, I'll give you an example. I think that's many, many years ago. Um, I was on a plane. There was a lady uh, sitting behind, uh, beside me. Um, she has a 10-year-old mm -hmm. baby um, in her laps, right? And that's, that's, you know, it was a domestic flight, but that was, you know, many, many years ago when even short, short um, flight, domestic flights still have free entertainment. So we all have that tiny little TV screen um, on the back of the seat in front of us, right? So it was amazing. The 10-month-old baby was trying to swipe the screen. Huh. 
you know, because at home, his, you know, uh, the baby's parents show her iPad, right? So, so she learned to swipe the screen. And I was thinking, that's, that's so interesting, right? Because what that means is, as a customer, we no longer care about the company that we're dealing with. We demand consistent customer experience, yeah. right? The baby doesn't care. That's an old TV. It's not iPad. Why shouldn't I be able to swipe everything? It's just so intuitive, such a good customer experience, right? So now tie that to quality. So what that means is, like, you know, I work for a bank today. And it's really interesting because when we think about who we compete with, of course, we compete with other financial institutions, right? But when I think about it, we actually compete with companies like Apple, companies mm-hmm. like Amazon, com- companies like Starbucks, uh-huh. because the customer demands the same experience everywhere, right? And especially when it comes to digital experience, right? Amazon does personalized. Amazon is leading in personalized experience, right? And I have to, you know, regret, regrettably tell you, we don't do that today. As a bank, we still don't have personalized digital experience. Mm-hmm. When you go on online banking, when you go on the mobile app, it's not personalized, right? It's a very fixed user interface. You know, you, you get your checking account first, the savings account next, right? It doesn't matter. I don't use my checking account as often. I use all my credit card very often. We don't pull your credit card as the first thing, thing you see on your screen, mm-hmm. right? But, but, you know, but the point is the world is changing so fast. The customer no longer differentiates between a financial institution versus Amazon. So we have to change alongside with it, right? And which poses a lot of demand on QA. Let's take Amazon as an example. We know that they do deployment very fast. They're the leading in DevOps, right? So they, I don't know, they, they, they deploy as soon as they have something ready, they deploy into production. But think from a testing perspective. It means I have to test as fast as my, my customers' uh, demand mm-hmm. changes. I have to test as fast as my um, designers, architects, and development can finish that 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 change uh. right um but it's actually a lot to ask the qa for especially in the online world right because we not only have to test that function works but think about the permutation we have to test with we have to test it works with edge safari firefox Chrome, and when you think about the different versions that people use, right? And then layer on top of that, your operating system. Layer on top of that, your different carriers, right? Because your different carriers can have protocols that restrict certain things, Uh right? And, you know, the the browsers that I just mentioned does not cover the whole player uh, user base. People also use DuckDuckGo and VPN, for example, right? So, it actually is very, very demanding on QA to, as a minimum, again, keep keep pace with the change that we're trying to do here, right? Yeah. So that goes back to why we have to transform because the old way of testing is just not cutting it anymore. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like to me that the QA uh, in this fast, fast-changing world and particularly technology mm-hmm. evolution has been the development bottleneck because everything needs to go through QA. And as the complexity mm-hmm. of development increases, 
the complexity of QA is exponentially increased. Exactly. Or maybe, or maybe the, com- the complexity of the environment increases. Mm-hmm. You, the interactions between environment and development, mm-hmm. com- it's complexity times complexity. Right. And so that, that, is that something that you're having to almost adapt faster than the development methods you are trying to serve? Right. Exactly. That right. seems, that seems like a huge challenge. It is. How do you, ta- how do, so how do you tackle that? Um, wh- what are the principles you hold to allow you to even address an exponentially increasing challenge to you and your discipline? Yeah. So um, you mentioned about principles. So let's take a look at the principles that um, we follow um, as part of this discipline. And that principle actually does not change, right? There are two principles that has shaped software testing. The first one is risk-based testing. Um, Mm. It's exactly what we were just talking about. It's not possible to test everything. Yeah. Right. When you think about all the combination that I just mentioned, it's not um, uh, talk. Uh, uh, it's not possible to test everything. Right. So we always have to strike a balance between coverage and speed. And then the second principle is shift left. You know, we also talk about that. We need to be able to uncover as many variances as early as possible. Right. Um, but when you think about these two principles, it's they're against each other. If yeah. I want to increase my coverage, I need to test more, which means I'm going to be slower. Right. And if I'm, I'm testing more then there's before I can execute my total population of tests, there's always a chance that there's something that I haven't uncovered yet. Right. So they're, they're actually against each other. So which means we have to take you know, step back, take a good look at how we conduct testing, you know, back to that framework that I mentioned to look at everything to say, how can we test faster, test um, smarter and test better, right? Um, So how do we do it? I want to focus on one aspect of it. Um, We talked about technology is driving change a lot faster, but technology in this case is also going to help me. It's also going to help QA, right? So I want to quickly talk about um, test automation because test automation is actually one of the enablers that will allow us to do this. Well, actually, Wings, before we get into that, I, I, I think you are giving a little preview of our next segment because, you know, we've, we've given you some idea of the why uh, in this first in this first thing. And now we're going to take a little bit of a break um, to let people digest the why before we give them the answers on how you solve it. <laughs> and in the meantime, I would love everyone out there in uh, listener land to think about you and your organization. Um, I'm assuming you do have a QA group uh, in the organization. How do you interact with that group as, as your team or you, as for you as a professional? Um, what are they provided to you? Um, what are they asked for you from you? And how have you helped them and how have they helped you? And what would you want if you were to have your druthers, as I like to say, from a QA-focused group within your organization? What would make you feel enabled? What do you think would help deliver your product and service better? And what would help you succeed in addressing customer challenges? We'll leave you for a moment and come back with our thoughts and, uh, of course, the how to make QA QE happen.
And welcome back to the second segment of our show today. So in the first segment, we spoke about the why and what is the difference between QA and QC and, and what is QE and the framework that's all behind it, which is very, very interesting. Um, and I'd like to continue with that question, Wings. So when we see that transformation going on from QA to QE at the end, what is different here? And, and why is this a transformation in the first place? To start off, QE does require a different skill set. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, as a QE person, we've always pride ourselves with a combined experience or expertise uh, in both business and application. Because at the end of the day, we're testing on behalf of the customer, right? Mm-hmm. I need to understand, you know, this is a business function or this is a business feature that I'm testing. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. we are in software industry, right? I am in software industry. So we are testing a application. So I need to understand how the application behaves, what are the features the application have, and how does these features support the business function that we're trying to give to the customer to mm-hmm. use. But now... Um, we also have to be technical because, you know, I talked about we have a say in design, which means I need to understand the design to begin with, Ooh. right? Um, so I have to I actually have to be technical. I also mentioned that we are we have to leverage the tech technology to revamp how we do testing, which also means I need to understand the technology to begin with. So mm-hmm. there is a different skill set that people have to actually upskill ourselves. So wait, you're looking for kind of the Goldilocks of engineers. Exactly. Someone who understands business, mm-hmm. someone who understands applications, someone who understands customer, mm-hmm. someone who understands behavior, someone who understands problem solving mm-hmm. along all of these axes. This this <laughs> this is a challenge. How do you find these people? Right. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. We have a very good starting point already. Um, so, 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 so maybe uh, you know. Let me finish this thought about why this is different, why it, this is a transformation, yeah. and maybe we'll quickly touch on the evolution of test automation because that will give you a good idea of how we can find these people, right? So, um, secondly, back to why is this a transformation? I think. Uh, secondly, you know, what's more importantly, it's a mindset shift. I need the teams. Everyone has a, a role in delivering that outcome to change their mindset from individual-based, output-based mindset mm-hmm. to a team-based, outcome-based mindset. Mm-hmm. And what do I mean by that? So today, each individual teams are measured based on a certain matrices that we measure them against, right? Take development as example. Um, as, as you know, this is my QA function speaking. I publish a dashboard for development and say my fail rate is 20%, which is okay. Not, not the best, but it's okay. But on this project, my fail rate is 60%. That's really bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> development, you got to do something to, to make sure you're increasing that, right? But you can see that I'm measuring individual teams, right? right. And that encouraged this kind of behavior. As a QA, I open the defect. The first thing out of everybody's mouth is, that's not a defect because <laughs> I got to defend myself, right? I got to make sure my bonus is not going to be impacted because you found a defect. Mm-hmm. So tomorrow, we want, to, we want the people to behave differently. When QA says, hey, something doesn't look right, 
everybody's reaction is, "You are right. Something doesn't look look right. Let's sit together. Let's find out what exactly is not right and how we can fix that." Right. So that's a mindset shift. But of course, we gotta make sure we measure it differently too. You know, I'm not gonna probably. I shouldn't be emphasizing my my fail rate. I should be emphasizing um, things differently. You know, is is customer happy with yeah. this outcome, yeah. right? And yep. then that will change the, the 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 conversation. That will change how people react to when we found the issue in quality. And then lastly. Um, uh, you know, this is really, 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 really interesting um, because I grew as a hero in the organization, mm. right? You know, I've always been, you know, I want to I wanna be better than everyone else. You know, I, I am always targeting that exceed expectation performance rating and stuff like that, yeah. right? So this is a bit of a change, total shift for me as well. I want my organization to not value heroes anymore. You know, Whoa. that's probably very, very surprising. Yeah. Why don't I want heroes? But come to, but, but think about it. The organization can only move at the speed of the lowest individual. Mm-hmm. Right? So which means I need everybody on the team to help the lowest individual to speed up. You can be a hero. You can move at 900 miles an hour. But the organization is still moving at 100 miles per hour because that's the lowest people who are moving at that level, right? So stop moving at 900 hour by yourself. Come back, help the team to move at 200 miles per hour, right? So that's the organization agility we're talking about, right? Yeah, that is quite a shift, especially right. in, in, in American mm-hmm. or North American organizations. Oh. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, it took me some brain wrestling to, to understand that and to, to say, yeah, I agree. That really is something important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, when I think about it, these are really, really hard things to do, right? I still want a high performing team. And normally when we think about a high performing team, it should be composed of high performing individuals, right? So <laughs> what does that mean to those high performing individuals? Um, you know, that's why it's, it's a transformation. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I think the, like you said, the, the chain is just as strong as its weakest link, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I see a lot of shift there with the younger generation, you know, who actually mm-hmm. demand this more. Right. right. So it's definitely to be seen. I don't know how long it will take until it becomes mainstream. Right. Mm-hmm. Because when I look in, in regular organizations, they're still, still hierarchical and, uh, we all know incentive strives behavior, mm-hmm. but I definitely see a shift there. Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that maybe the, your performance analysis of your team mm-hmm. no longer goes as a, a metric of individual delivery, mm-hmm. but rather you're looking for people for whom mentorship and supportive coaching attitudes are first and foremost in their personality and in their, their work delivery style. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the expression, uh, high tide raises all ships mm-hmm. is sort of just referring to that you need to understand that when you change something as a systemic change, everybody benefits from it. So you need systemic analysis. Right. You need systemic people right. who understand the structures that they're in and how to drive value for everyone simultaneously rather than their own personal metrics. Right, exactly. That's, a, that's an interesting shift. It is. And I suppose that that, that talks to the, the next piece of the, the question, which is sort of the, my, my nitty gritty on the how, which is 
you want to communicate that as a value statement up to your stakeholders. Uh, talk to me about centering QE um, into the into a strategic vision for an organization. What do you say to leadership? How do you make that a, f- a focus, a priority, and get the resources you need? Because mm-hmm. as you might imagine, I'm sure you know this, you're always fighting for resources. You're fighting for your discipline. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. What's your ammunition? <laughs> It's it's actually a very easy conversation, right? Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, very easy conversation. Um, I go to my leaders in the in in the organization and and say, um, do you want? So let's say today uh, I'm, I'm making this up as a, as a, as an example. Let's say today we do um, one release every month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be able to do? one release every week i think the answer is yes yes absolutely please let's do it right okay so in order for me to be able to do that i need this shift to happen because today my regression package has twenty-six thousand test cases in it Oof. so yeah, yeah that's, that's that's shocking like that's i heavy. was shocked the one the one one yeah what when i know about that right so you know, we actually have full automation with the with the regression package, but that still requires a few days to run, right? If you want to do every week, and my regression package alone takes three days to run, the math doesn't work. Yeah. You are not able to. You are not going to be able to do it, right? How do you solve this then? This problem because you know there's just so much time in your release. So tactically. Um, as you know, this goes back to QE, owning the whole framework, right? So one of the capabilities that we have within QA is test automation. Mm-hmm. So from a test automation perspective, I can do things like um, multi-thread, um, uh, multi-thread um, execution. So I can break my automation down so that, you know, instead of running uh, one um, uh, execution from, from beginning to end, I break it down to 10 different threads. I run them at the same time, uh-huh. right? So mm-hmm. now it's ten, one, one tenth of the time, but that's a very tactical solution. The better solution going back to, hey, Dev, you have to break your monstrous application into smaller modules. So I don't need to execute 26,000 test cases, you know, the full regression package. I, if I only need to execute 600 test cases, that's a lot faster than 26,000 test cases, right? Yeah. So this is the conversation that we have at the organization level. And after this example, sold, right? People yeah. have to say sold. As simple as that. And it's also the same thing when you, it depends on the application that you build. Things like automated unit tests and automated mm-hmm. builds. Oh, for right, sure. Right every time when you check in your code and, and do yeah, these Yeah, you're things. right. Uh, yeah, yeah. One thing that uh, uh, my partner and I have been, ha- have been talking about is um, uh, if, if we can actually automate fast, and we give it to development. So the mm-hmm. developer will finish the work today. They will start running the automated test scripts overnight. Mm-hmm. And then the very next morning, they come to work. They see what's working, what's not working, right? So that they, they have a chance to fix it before they even give it, like give it, to, give it over to, to QA, right? Yep. All those things, again, you know, going back to that framework, I have a say over how development behaves because I own quality, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if, if, if we go further up to, uh, upstream, I have a say over your requirement 
because if your requirements says you know says this way versus another, it, it impacts how I test, right? Yeah. So so when I when I think about that, that makes complete sense, Wings. So, mm-hmm. but when I think about this, so you're talking about scaling, you know, and mm-hmm. and being faster and doing more stuff in in the same time that you have allocated mm-hmm. to it. But I'm just wondering because I know we do have a, an episode about AI. Uh, mm-hmm. on our big wish list oh, at yeah. some point in time. But how <laughs> mm-hmm. do all those wonderful modern things like AI and machine learning yeah. uh, play in that realm? That's one thing that we are really um, focusing a lot um, in, the, in, in, in the testing space as well. Let's talk a little bit about the evolution of test automation. Sure, sure, sure. Again, it, it's a very, very important topic in this transformation because it connects back to um, technology demands us to change, but technology is also going to enable me to transform, to change, right? Mm-hmm. So when I think about um, test automation, um, there is there has always been a need to um, simulate because of various constraints. For example, you know, I like like the example of of testing a new car or testing a new airplane. Mm -hmm. Um, The best testing is you test drive it. But before you ask someone to go test drive it, you got to make sure it's safe enough for you to (laughs) get the person in it. No, that's why we pay those testers the big bucks. Exactly. (laughs) Roland, they're literally dummies. You you, 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 you don't get paid anything. They get smashed a bit. Right. Right. But but, but that's exactly, we simulate it, right? We run simulations on it. Um, Right. right. So, So that's actually a form of test automation. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. right? Um, um, and the, but 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 I'll give you a banking example as well, like in, in, in the real world, right? The the world that that I live in, um, I sound like the, the the car is not real world, but anyways, you know <laughs> what I mean. Um, so uh, we we are uh, so uh, we actually offer a feature that um, you can choose an installment payment at the time of checkout. Okay. So this is applicable to all the merchants, right? Um, everybody, because um, it, it, it's a feature that the bank offers to the customer. But the challenge for testing this, I have to have a merchant to be able to test the truly end-to-end, right? Because right. it happens at the time of checkout, which happens when you are either in the, in the store or online shopping or whatever the case may be, right? But I'm not probably not at the liberty to test with a merchant. Mm-hmm. Because they're not part of my ecosystem, they're not part of my testing environment. Right. So how do I test? I have to run a simulate. I have to stop it, right? So test automation has always been there. It's it's nothing new. Um, but up until certain points, test automation has always been viewed as a necessary devil, because it's actually cost you money to automate. Right. And um, automation skill set traditionally is a skill set that um, the QE society um, do not have. So we actually have specialized people who specialize in test automation. It really is very similar to a development skill set. Right. Hmm. And because it's costly to automate, it's, it has always been viewed as a necessary devil. But now. The, the modern world actually demands automation. I talked a lot about, you know, these 
different permutations that we have to consider to test. Mm -hmm. But think about it. It's exactly the same test, test set that I'm executing. I'm just executing it over and over on different parameters, right? Different browsers, different operating systems, different versions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So can, if I can automate it, so then I just need to click a button. It tests, you know, it spills out the test result for me. So I think, you know, we, we evolved from darn it, I have to automate because if I don't automate, I cannot test to actually um, there is a business case for test automation now because of all this, all this permutation, even if I consider the cost that I have to automate, it's still cheaper to test with automation than manually execute the same test, test sets over and over. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. But um, as, as you know, the three of us, we all live in the 21st century. So mm -hmm. uh, we all have that wonderful idea that um, artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and all these things will make our lives much easier so that we can spend our days at the beach instead of in the office. Um, how, right. how do you see that in testing? Right. So... We, we actually have um, very, 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 very good um, use case um, for, for those things, right? I'll give you one example, uh, machine learning. So uh, as part of our world, we routinely have to test PDFs. Ooh. And PDF testing is, right, because, you know, we yeah. send notifications and statements, they're all in PDFs, right? Mm -hmm. But PDF testing is one of the very, very boring testing because <laughs> you are literally making sure the font is correct, right? <laughs> the logo goes here. The, you know, the whatever the text goes there is exactly what whatever is supposed to, to, to go there, right? And it's also very error prone because when human looks at it, you tend to miss something, right? It's Especially when you have to test it like seven times, yeah. <laughs> you're going to miss something. So we actually leveraged machine learning to test that. We feed the PDFs to it. Mm -hmm. The model learns about the PDF yeah. and then it tests um, by itself, right? So that's a very good um, usage of that. AI is another uh, usage. AI-driven AR, AR, uh, testing is actually every, – everyone is trying to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So what we do – and this is also ties back to start left. So what we do is we actually start building models at the beginning of any project that we work on while, you know, the business are figuring out the, the requirements, how the um, uh, product will look like. We're going in parallel building models, right? Once I build the model, AI actually traverses the model and creates the test cases automatically for me, right? And then what makes it better is I actually – integrate my uh, my model with my existing automation framework. So literally, I click a button, I build the model, I click a button, the test cases are created, I know it has 100% coverage, and then it actually automatically executed, spills out what's working, what's not working. So mm. that's another use case of AI. That's, you know, I think everyone in the industry is probably... Um, trying to implement that um, at, at, at this time. If I can ask a question here then, so are you talking about leveraging AI-based approaches? Are you talking about shifting left? Mm -hmm. As you are developing the technology that it's testing, you are leveraging AI to co-develop the automations that will test the product that, that you are developing? So I'm leveraging AI 
to test uh, what the development is going to build. So remember that I'm building the model in parallel with the requirements. So oh, my model boy. is a reflection of the requirements, yeah. right? The, the, so my requirement says, as a customer, I should be able to join my online banking, see all my, all my balances. I click on this account, I should see my transaction history. So I'm building a model for that requirement, right? Oh, that's, that's fascinating. Exactly. Once I build the model, and then the AI actually traverses the model, so, so yeah. and and created the test cases for me, right? That's so cool. So you're essentially saying that the same genesis that spawns the need for automation spawns the test cases and automation that tests that. Mm-hmm. Right. That's amazing. Exactly. That's all the way left. Exactly. Start left. That's right at the very beginning. That's 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 taking the same seed and growing two branches out of exactly, it. Exactly. One yeah. branch that says how will I do it, and yeah. one branch says let me test whether or not how I do it will work. Exactly. That's so cool. And I'll I'll add on top of that, right? We mentioned about test automation is a, is a different skill set. It's a, you know QA normally don't have it, but fast track to today, there is actually robotic automation or scriptless automation really, you know, automate based on natural language. So once my model is built, I spill out of the test case, which is in natural language, right? It actually says, you know, the customer logs on the, on, on the website mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, is able to see account, um, account information. That's natural language. My automation framework actually reads the nat- natural language, automated for me. So now I solve the problem of the skill set, different skill uh, set as well. Yeah. You see what so I'm a- saying? Everything, is, everything comes together with, uh, with AI-driven usage of the same language so that you're never having to have a translation right. error between requirements and requirements exactly. for QA. And that's, that's super, super exactly. cool. I, I, and so, so, so let, let's right. put this into practice. Um, I, I, I hear this, uh, that the automation is really handy for that. Now you've got a team around this. So tell me about your team. Um, mm-hmm. How do you enable mm-hmm. this practice in an organization? We talked about the Goldilocks people before. How do you find the right people? How mm-hmm. do you structure the team that, that helps to make this, this capability come about in an organization? How do you operate that team? Mm-hmm. What sort of processes do you have? Mm-hmm. Right. So... Um, I was, uh, you know, I was thinking about how to answer that question. I actually have a really boring <laughs> answer. It's it's not different than how you manage any right. other change, right? You map up your current state, you map up your future state, you do a gap analysis. What what do I need, right? You know, typically you need training. Typically you need uh, ongoing support to the customer. Uh, and you know, um, we did we you know we figured out the solution. We did the POC. We proved it out. It, the solution works. And then I realized I need another POC because I need to um, POC the whole thing, the roles and responsibilities, right? The processes around it. it you know, having a solution doesn't mean I got to the end of the job. So, you know, everything around that where, where you know, it's, it's a typical change management journey from now um, to, uh, uh, to, to, to get to the um, end of the journey, right? So that's how we're doing it. But to answer your question about finding the people, how, how do we make sure um, I actually have the right people and the people are motivated to, to, 
to do this. Um, like I said, we already have a very talented base, right? We already know business. We already know application. And we have new technology that are not that hard to learn. So these are all aspects of, of what I would say uh, of a capability. And I, I try to uh, put it back to or make a connection to the previous episode that we had where we were talking about BPM and EA uh, maturity mm -hmm. assessments. So mm -hmm. I would assume there's something similar like a QA org maturity. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually, uh, I actually, you know, I did a little bit of that, um, EA work before, you know, definitely not experts, but, um, knows, knows enough to, <laughs> to be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, dangerous. Yeah. So I actually did exactly what you just mentioned. I mapped out all the QE capabilities. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I look at which ones I need to strengthen to help me to get there. And then I work out a roadmap. Mm -hmm. um, so, so really current state, future state assessment roadmap. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I, I tie that back to process improvement. You know, here's my processes today, how we do. For example, one thing that we, we were talking about is uh, measurement. Right. And the process of uh, documentation around that. I, I don't want the team to focus on documentation. I know today we all follow methodology, but we all know a lot of times people do a documentation for the sake of doing documentation so that they can say a check. I'm compliant. Mm -hmm. right? So we actually want to stay away from that as well. We want to encourage the team to say focus on solving the problem, focusing on improving improving the quality, but make make it document light. But how do we solve the problem when we go into production, we find the issue, and then, you know, people say, how do we miss it? If we don't have any documentation on, um, because the design may have changed several times in that in that space, right? Yeah, yeah. If we don't have any documentation around it, then we have to rely on people's memory to say, we decided to not do this and do it this way because of ABCD, <laughs> right? Yeah. So how do we solve that? You know, we're, we, that's the part of a journey that we're still solving for, right? Yeah, which, which is never a good idea to rely on people's memory. When I just, exactly. Yeah, when right. I just think about mine, no, no, not a good idea. <laughs> um, right. But I, I also think this is, we discussed that with Mike Eidengren in, in the episode when we were talking about agile and scaled agile framework, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I think doing a design and bring things on a virtual piece of paper is just part of agile development. So mm -hmm. just because you're agile, that doesn't mean you don't document or you don't design. Right. Exactly. Yep. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, along those lines, uh, I think that we've, we've reached a, a really good point to cap off today's episode. I mean, I, I think that th this is an, an excellent discussion, but I want to put it back one last call to action and musical break for our, our good friends uh, in the audience there. So think about your organization in its quality programs. Think about what we've been talking about from a test automation perspective, from team building perspective, from a strategic vision and alignment perspective. What does that lead you down the path of maturity? Where are you in your organization? And how are you seeing those functions support the business? And perhaps if you don't see those functions supporting the business, what do you want to transform to address how quality supports business evolution? We'll leave you for a moment to think about those things and come back with our final thoughts and conclusions to the episode.
So welcome back. Um, I would love to say you made it, but it was such an interesting conversation that we had with Wings yeah. that I would love to have more of it. But unfortunately, we are a little bit time challenged here and we don't want to run too much over an hour. So we stay in the regular format uh, and we're going to end it here. But maybe just to summarize it, um, we spoke about the shift from QA to QC to QE and the framework that comes with it and, and how that transformation could look like. And Obviously, we spoke about the people and why that's different, you know, the skill set and that the behavior needs to change, right? Does it sound all familiar? And then obviously, we spoke about the technology, how uh, test uh, automation um, improved over time. And obviously, now in the 21st century, where we see AI and ML and all those wonderful things go in. So thank you, Wings, for being the guest on our show. Yay! And, um, yay. <laughs> yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> and obviously the question that's on everybody's mind now is, how can I get in contact with that very, very interesting person? Yeah, for sure. LinkedIn is our best friend. And I would love, I would love to hear from people, you know, on your thoughts and to GM's point, where your organization is and how are you tackling all these, you know, modern world problems. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. We'll have all this information in, in our show notes. And I suppose that's time we talk a little bit about our show notes. And thank you so much for everyone for listening to this point. Thank you for liking and sharing the, the What's Your Baseline podcast with all your friends. We love seeing our, our follower numbers keep going up on LinkedIn and our listen numbers across all platforms. So please keep sharing it out with anyone who will listen, who will love, and who would like to join our little family. And the show notes. You can head over to whatsyourbaseline.com for all the information about this show and, and all the the different things that we do. Now, you'll find Wings' profile. You'll find some interesting notes about what we talked about today uh, and all the things you need to know. And that's that's your, your prompt. Go on there, take the time, and we will look forward to seeing you in the following episodes. But until then, friends, I've been J.M. Erlinson. Wings Lair. And my name is Roland Volt. And we will see you in the next one. <laughs>